Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to three. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Post Monte Carlo, it is week three, technically, of the clay court season. Novak Djokovic is in action in Banja Luka. Uh, we also have some Rafa Nadal news, some negative Rafa Nadal news to parse and to discuss. Uh, but let's start with Novak, who won his first round match uh, this week against Luka Von Asch, this 18-year-old Frenchman who I actually... Uh, like very much. But right now, it seems that uh, to a lesser extent than Nadal, uh, the focus for Novak is still uh, kind of the elbow, the the right elbow thing that seemed to be bothering him last week, uh, was clearly bothering him last week and has lost to Lorenzo Musetti and Monte Carlo. And and that's the main thing that I feel like we're tracking this week. Uh, are you in the same place there, Amy? Well, I got a text from you guys yesterday to tune in to Novak's match, which I wasn't watching live and I was planning on catching up on. So I I tuned in and it was in the second set already. And I just didn't think against conventional wisdom. I just didn't think Novak was playing that poorly. And I could not discern if he hadn't been wearing a sleeve I wouldn't have been able to tell you that anything was wrong. Now, I'm sure that, you know, people who follow his every move very closely will be able to say, oh, he was lacking depth on this stroke or that stroke. But I thought the forehand looked pretty good, and I thought he served well in the match. Yeah, he took off the sleeve, and he said that it wasn't much of an issue in in that match. So positive news out of the Luka Van Asch match. I know he lost the first set, and had the sleeve on for the start of the match and said coming into the tournament that it was an issue uh, where in press after Monte Carlo, he didn't want to get into it. I think because he was in such a bad mood from the loss that he just didn't really want to speak about it. Uh, but but I think I thought it was good. Uh, I agree. The elbow. Yet still, clay court season, toothpick by toothpick. I mean, and other surfaces, you sometimes would see a player like Novak Playing an 18-year-old who he he'd beaten Rinka in the in the prior round, um, and Novak still got to kind of earn it. That's it. and we and we talked, you know, I we we thought that uh, at least I had that he would be in reasonable shape when he started, but it still got you still got to work your way towards it. And he was just, I mean, that was an effort. That was a that was a tough effort against the guy and Clay and uh, lots of grinding. Yeah, he played fairly well, but finding form. Is there some health stuff to kind of be concerned about with Novak just because of the fact that injuries have been so few and far between for Djokovic? You know, you have the one major elbow issue in 16 and 17. But really, since he came back from that, Djokovic has been kind of injury proof. It's been one of his main assets, I feel. This 2023, for the first time in a while, it seems like there's a lot of kind of getting nicked up and 
some issues here and there. I mean, it will happen eventually because that's what happens when you get older. Uh, what's the concern level that the era of clean bill of health Djokovic is kind of coming to an end? I don't know if it's ending as much as he's 35. I mean, he's going to be 36 next month. And uh, and this is just, it's it sounds trite. Time waits for no one. It doesn't mean he's it's 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 just gonna he has to manage this stuff and he's probably aware of that and he's probably when asked about it, is going to give some very thoughtful comments about it and then there's also the whole whole match tough thing that's gone on with him not playing in north america these last couple of years so how that fit figures into his sharpness you know there's a whole thing being match tough and being sharp and fit from playing but not too much playing Let's put aside the age thing for a while. You guys know me, like one of my mantras is less is more, less is more, manage your schedule, take breaks. And I admittedly thought that after the break from not playing Indian Wells in Miami, that Novak would show up like a lean fighting machine. And he, you know, has this little injury and hasn't been playing particularly well. Um, or at least not to his standard. And so I, I'm now rethinking this a little bit. And I, I've really been um, influenced by something that Dominic Team said. And I really thought Team was overplaying for a few years. And he said that after he won the U.S. Open, he just mentally felt a lack of motivation. And so kind of stayed off the court for a few weeks and was kind of just mulling, milling around. And then he decided to ramp it back up really quickly. And he went out on the practice court almost as if he had never been gone and and got an overuse injury on his wrist. So in other words, he blames himself for not working hard enough during those weeks when he lacked motivation. So that was an interesting point. Okay. The break maybe was good for his mind and his soul, but then if you then go back on the court and pretend that, you know, you didn't take that time off and don't ramp it up slowly, maybe you do predispose yourself to an injury. So, you know, I was thinking about that with regard to Novak, but um, I mean, look, this guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad you took it there because that was my thought when I was trying to think about, okay, how do I feel about this this elbow thing what do i make of it there are two there are two things that you don't want i think in in all of athletics when it comes to staying healthy you don't want overuse you also don't want underuse yeah and at at the recreational level i feel like it's a much bigger issue these pros are always playing they're always hitting they never let their bodies go dormant but i, I mean you can't simulate matches and it's a different feeling out there. Not playing is a good way to get hurt. Uh, and I, and especially when it's not a real injury, like it doesn't, okay. Djokovic didn't, didn't tear a, a tendon, right? This isn't an acute injury. This seems like something that became a, an issue in, you know, tenderness, soreness, tightness, you know, something like that. Not really an injury injury. I think it's a perfect explanation to, to blame that on the fact that he hadn't been playing. Well, and nothing is going to reveal that more than you when you play on the European clay time of year. I mean, the work you have to put in to generate pace, to move your feet, 
to stay balanced, to say nothing of the opponent doing the same to you, to dealing with the um, uncertainty of the different bounces. I mean, it is a real, it is the ultimate MRI of where you're at physically and therefore mentally. Let's not, let's not even put aside just, just the, the mental part about competing and all that, but just physically, physically with dealing with balls and, and who knows? I mean, and again, Novak is such a, um, he's so attuned to many things, but he works on many things and experiments and there's strings and rackets and, and all sorts of factors enter into this. And he wants to, you know, again, he wants to make the grand effort, try to win Roland Garros for a third time. So last year he, he had the bad loss at Monte Carlo there, I think was some, some illness there, but it just seemed like the, the, the cardiovascular health was the biggest issue. And then they went to Belgrade and it was one seed versus two seed in the final Djokovic, Andre Rublev, <laughs> Novak, uh, just kind of ran out of gas in that match. In fact, completely and lost the third set six love. This week, once again, Djokovic, the one seed, Rublev, the two seed, Andre now coming off of a Monte Carlo title. I'm, I'm fascinated to kind of track this year against last year because so far it's parallel. Yeah, I can't believe Andre is playing this tournament. Sorry, Joel. <laughs> I mean, he wins Monte Carlo. And, and not easily, by the way. These were It was a long run there. And then he goes to a religious ceremony because he is the godfather of Daniil Medvedev's daughter. Then he races over to play this 250. It's 250, right? Yeah. Um, and I assume that he's going to play the double-headed 1000s coming up. Andre. I mean, I know he loves tennis and, and he lives to compete. But I would have loved to have seen Andre take this week off. That aside, um, it is good to see him in a field. He really enhances this field that Novak has put himself in. Although I, I think Novak's probably not even worried about that right now. He's just finding himself on clay. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. I think, uh, first of all, I think, um, I don't know how you guys felt. I, I was very happy for Rublev. That was his first yeah. match in 1000, and that was a great final. And Runa's a great player, too, who he beat in the finals. But I just think, uh, I just thought, I just, I, I just like Rublev. I don't, um, his attitude, the way he goes about doing things. So that was neat. But I think, uh, I wonder if the players are just thinking, look, sign up for these things, play as you do. Just like, look, here's Novak, Monte Carlo playing this week. Then the others, and they're they're ten day tournaments, so they're they're kind of like their own version of the Indian Wells Miami configuration. And I think the players think, well, I'm not going to win. Who am I, Rafa? I'm going to win every match I play on these things. So I think they're going to be ample pockets of downtime. But the last thing you want is non match time. I mean, it's it'd be interesting to talk to players about what's the best prep, physical, mental. I mean, yeah, you don't want to overplay, but what's going to be, and you don't know if you lose. Well, yeah, it's it's a difference this year. I want to highlight that, that Rome and Madrid, which used to take place 
over the course of two weeks is now going to take place over the course of a month. I don't think it's that physical, actually. And I think this might be why Andre didn't feel the need to pull out. If you're a seeded player in one of these, you don't play in the first round. Uh, and then you get a day off between matches. So you, you're really, you almost have a week off during the first week because it starts on Wednesday, then you get a bye. So you, you play your first match Friday or Saturday. It's almost like a week off. So it's going to be interesting to see how those adjustments are, are made. I agree with you, Joel. And I've heard some interesting uh, comments from, from some former players who t have talked about how, how some, some players like a day off in between matches and it helps them. Some players hate it. For some players, it really hurts them having that day off. They like to keep that kind of momentum train going. Obviously, for our, for our three, for, for Djokovic and Nadal here, they have excelled so much in that day off format that we're used to seeing in the majors. They've also excelled in the non-day off too. <laughs> they, they, they can, you know, do anything. But um, one little caveat, and, and then I'll let Joel, I'll let you run with it. Um, the Madrid conditions are just so different. And um, the bounce there is, I think it's tough on the arm. And, and uh, it, it's not, you know, Rome is such a better prep for Roland Garros that if, I were going to, you know, not not withdraw, but maybe take it a little easier or lower my expectations for a tournament, then Madrid would be the one that I would kind of lower. If you're top 30, Amy, you can't withdraw. Well, that's right. That's right. Um, otherwise, you're going to face penalties these days. That's true. Yeah. Well, or you could say you face the penalties, just put it on my tab. <laughs> True. And it seems to us talked about that, but it's just this interesting kind of calibration. I think as these events expand, I mean, these are 96 fields in Madrid and Rome. We'll see how the players go about managing their time and their energy and how that even had the implications for Monte Carlo and the other clay court circuit. I mean, this the expansion of these events has kind of altered the whole the DNA of the um of the European clay season. And, and players will learn. And also as far as the days and day offs, yeah, it depends on on who the player is, I mean, how far they go. That's always the you know, the players who are used to getting to quarters and 16s or the players who are in semis, all of that. Before we move on, are we are we selling the Djokovic-Musetti match short? We haven't really talked about it. I felt like the quality wasn't all that high, like nothing Musetti did. Uh, I don't want to say it didn't, you know, impress me. He's a, He's good. Uh, but I don't think he was extraordinary, and I don't I don't see evidence that this is going to be some launching pad uh, for Musetti. Although he had a good win over Cam Nori uh, this week in in Barcelona as well, so maybe he is building something. But I thought it was more Djokovic first serve not working, forehand not working, and just uh, just a very kind of weakened version of Novak in that match. I think Musetti gets plenty from it. That doesn't mean that he puts him on the path to winning the French Open, but it means you know, like everyone takes what they get out of these things, right? It's like it's classic tennis player logic. Like no, Novak thinks, well, okay, that's fine. It's Monte Carlo. We got weeks to go. And it's almost as if Monte Carlo is becoming, okay, the acceptable early clay season loss. And then the great win, confidence. Let me see. Let me go. And again, for a player like Musetti, two semis, let's say this leading up to Roland Garros, pretty good. 
in a pack doing well. So we'll see. I think for him, I think for him, the way he plays and a lot of will depend on his draw at Roland Garros, for example, but we'll, we'll get to him in a few weeks, but, uh, and for Novak, it's like, yeah, that happens. Okay. Next. It's pretty cool how Monte Carlo has become this place where people with one-handed backhands can actually do well. Maybe it has to do with the slowness of the court, but I thought um, Musetti's backhand held up really well, um, despite Novak kind of focusing on it. But in the end, it was what you said, Gil. He just wasn't he wasn't in good form. Yeah, I, here's, I, here's the question, if I may, just a sec, Gil. It's a, it's a question. Which 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 parents do we want to be on behalf of which player? Who do we, who who's the advocate? Where does the advocacy well, lie? In, in the winner or the loser? In, in the frequent subject of our show or in another? You know, you see what I mean? It's like you can look at it from either view. Sure. Well, I mean, we're we're more Novak's parents than Musetti's parents. Yeah, Musetti is not going to be one of the three. No, all due <laughs> no, but, respect. But I'm, I'm talking overall. <laughs> our our role as tennis commentators, it's like you know, none of us, none of us, and we all play. None of us wants to be told, "Oh yeah, you won. Your opponent wasn't playing well." Agreed. Agreed. Uh, absolutely. And but I also think it's our job to to watch the match and to kind of look at what happened there and not. You know, we don't have an obligation to Lorenzo, you know, to give him, you know, lots of lots of pats on the back, although he deserves pats on the back. Yeah. I'm not saying he doesn't, but I'm saying let's say he didn't. Right. It's not it, it's not we're nobody's parents, I guess, at the end of the day uh, for Musetti. Emotionally, I think it's massive. Like yeah. the 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 2021 Roland Garros match was haunting was uh, I think in a lot of ways traumatic, not just from losing from two sets up, but also because of the the abuse that he took for retiring in that match. That was a big deal. And I feel like nothing can kind of, I guess, close the book on that and allow him to forget that as much as this Monte Carlo match. I think in that way, it, it must be very therapeutic. And we saw his reaction going to his team, hugging everybody like he just won the tournament. So that's all great for him, happy for him, but literally from a tennis level standpoint, all I'm saying is I wasn't like, whoa, Musetti's playing like a top 10 guy. I, I wasn't there. Well, I wouldn't say that based on one match anyway. I would say that Musetti won the tournament. Do you see what I mean? It's like, we all know that we all know how good pro tennis is and that these things, that kind of, those kind of things happen. So it happens and, and no, Novak knows it too, right? Yes. Okay, Rafa. Uh, bad news pulled out of Madrid. Uh, what he has said in a statement this morning in Spanish. I'm just going to read it. Uh, it's been translated for me. Uh, the injury was supposed to keep me out six to eight weeks, but I have been out 14. We have followed all the medical advice, but my recovery has not gone as they said it would. And now we find ourselves in a difficult situation. So, it was, I think, an expectation that Rafa would actually have a full clay court season after the injury was first sustained. But as Amy has been telling us on the show, uh, it's just not healing as quickly as expected. Amy, anything right. to add to this? Uh, I, I really liked Rafa's statement today because he went in as much detail as he possibly could and, you know, spoke 
directly to the camera and and all that um and ended with you know sending hugs to everybody which was really sweet um but the the funny part in the middle was kind of like these doctors they told me 10 weeks and it's been 14 okay <laughs> i wasn't told the truth <laughs> um and it's just uh, it's just a guy who wants to play tennis you know and and loves playing tennis this time of year and just lives and breathes the clay and wants so badly to be out there we're, you know, if, if I'm really like boiling it down to brass tacks, and I know, Joel, you don't like to like get into the Grand Slam tally and all that, but we're really at an interesting pivot point with regard to the tally because Novak is not quite in his tip-top form right now, and he's been wearing a sleeve on his elbow. Rafa is obviously a real question mark to even play Roland Garros. And they're tied at 22. And oh, by the way, there's this guy, Carlos Alcaraz, who is amazing right now and, and is on the up. And there's any number of other players, including like uh, Taylor Fritz, for example, um, and Andre Rublev just won on clay. So this is shaping up to be not like Rafa's going to go and just win another one, but one of the most interesting compelling clay court seasons that we've had in some time well that's true because it's so wide open you have these contenders and we've seen we've known for years that it was going to reach this stage in the rafael nadal physicality the novak Djokovic, um he, likely to last longer have more shots to win majors um yeah for me the I, i'm fine with talking about the tally i just don't think i just don't believe as we know in in the whole goat that it necessarily right. makes one a goat more than another and Novak can maybe look at, you know, he sees a Wimbledon or whatever. But uh, uh, yeah, it is interesting. For example, maybe it'll be Alcaraz or someone else who keeps them at 22, right? Maybe these guys, maybe because as Alcaraz has shown, Alcaraz, I'm pretty sure, is the first, he's the first guy to win a sum in that era, young enough to think, hey, we think he could win more. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. actually, I was encouraged by that 14 years ago by Del Potro. 14 years ago, but you know, these other guys and Murray, Murray got hit. Murray and Marinka got their, got three each pretty good, but it wasn't seeing that they were going to like, you know, freeze the, the big three. If Alcaraz has a significantly better clay court season than, than Djokovic, he will be favored going into Roland Garros. Like the belief that he can win a major is, is there. Um, and and over and over Rafa as well because it looks like Rafa will probably. I mean, we can talk about this. First, I just want to say I I I agree with you. About, you know, both of you about yeah. This this does feel. I feel like RG coming into the year was oh this is probably going to be really interesting. Djokovic wins Australia, tied at twenty two. Nadal's house, Alcaraz, great surface for him. Like in terms of those three guys right now, this is as good as it gets. And at Wimbledon, it starts to get a lot more straightforward for, for Novak, you would think. You know, it's just the contenders. It isn't there. And and the finalist from last year at Wimbledon, Nick Kyrgios, who was dangerous there, getting ahead of myself, but he hasn't played at all this year either. So to get back to Nadal, at one point I'm thinking Nadal has only pre-Roland Garros tournament right now can be Rome. And I wonder, 
if he doesn't play Rome, I'm really curious to see how he views if he should play Roland Garros. Because again, I've talked about this for years that Nadal believes in homework and preparation. And I wonder how he would feel at all levels besides cleared physically or all these different things about showing up, not having played a match since January and having it be his first round match, launch a title defense at Roland Garros. I, so Rome is going to be really interesting. I, I mean, for see how Nadal is for that. What do you think, if, Amy? Does does Rafa play? If if he can't play Rome, does he play Roland Garros? If he can play Roland Garros, meaning like the hip is healed in that timeline. Um, it's so many things coming at Rafa right now. Like, okay, this is my house. This is where I know the deal. I know what I'm doing. I can ramrod through. Um, Novak is not in tippy top form and there may be something wrong with his elbow if i don't play am i missing an opportunity here that's you know um secondly if i do play could i make things worse um thirdly do i want to try to come back and play next year because i i, I don't want to end my career not having given roland garros one more try so many factors to consider so many things coming at him and the only thing i can do is take him at his word which is not feeling a hundred percent right now so therefore don't know what even next like next week or tomorrow is going to be like those are great assessments and i think factored into that is also nadal's but i've always thought of his hyper respect for the game itself and the people who pay money to watch him play and even his rivals like am i am i worthy am i 100 not just because my doctor tells me and because I played a couple practice sets yesterday, but am I, I would do I have it in me to give 14 days of, of this kind of tennis. Yeah, I, I think, and that's my, that's my answer to the question. I think it comes down to on the practice court. And again, maybe he plays Rome, but we're assuming he doesn't in this hypothetical on the practice court. Do I feel like my level is Roland Garros winning level? And if it can get there, I think he plays, but if it's not, I don't think he enters just to give it a go. If he doesn't fully believe that he can win the title, I don't think he's playing. I agree. That's right. So I guess, I guess, right. So we're, we're, we're conjecturing on our, yeah, we're, we're in the lot yeah. of interesting speculation, but I think Amy, you, you illuminated the three, the many things going on around Adele, a lot of different thoughts. And I guess yeah. we'll have to see, we'll obviously pay attention. And I think we want to really would like him to play Rome. That'd be really nice. Yeah. That would really help. That would help provide this this the path towards the other answer. Because he's yeah. not. A, this isn't the grass season where many many players have have shown up at Wimbledon and gone on to win a world. Right. It's also like it's so uh, it's crazy, Joel. I I guess you know this, Amy. I don't know if you know this, but I had an abductor injury right around the time Rafa got his abductor injury. Uh, but it was, I, mine was, was before and it took way, way longer to heal than I expected, like way longer. And I, I don't put in the work like Rafa, Rafa's rehabbing every day. I'm like eating potato chips and hoping it gets better. So there's a big <laughs> difference there, but I'm just, it's just weird for me to think about right now. It's kind of messing with my brain because it, it, it was a weird thing that's happened to me this year is, 
hurting the same thing as Rafa and having a mm. somewhat similar experience with so it. You're taking kind of a chip and charge approach, Gil. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, and funny. And I've had a ankle injury. And so Gil and I are going to have a little little hit next Tuesday and see which of us can give a, a reasonable 27 minutes of tennis. <laughs> well, be careful out there, you guys. Don't, yeah, no one's just gonna... don't whatever you do, don't go to pickleball. <laughs> <laughs> let's end on a fun one. We won't, Amy. Don't worry. Uh, let's let's end on a fun one. Djokovic in his press conference recently said that he would coach Nick Kyrgios. He would have to. It would cost a lot, so he's going to charge a lot. He would do it. And his prediction is that if he coached Nick, that Nick would win five major titles. So does that imply <laughs> that Novak would be would be retired at such point? Uh, that's unclear. With the with the slams come at Novak's expense. Isn't, isn't that a conflict of interest if he's coaching him and playing him in the final of a slam? Um, I, know, I days, love it. You see, these days actually goes a good question. Given what coaching is, I don't know. Is it could he yell across the court to him? Think of <laughs> your coach. You're coaching your opponent. Hey, it's his backhand more. <laughs> uh, well, if there's anyone who could handle that job. It would have to be Novak because I can't really think of another person on the planet who, who could be Curios's coach, but I would pay to see that, you know, like the pay-per-view and all that. Um, and I would love it if they would mic up Novak. That would be cool. So no response from Curios yet. That's interesting. And so I guess no, nothing from Curios about that because usually he's pretty quick to reply whenever around these things. So. This was, you know, this was a fun thing that that was, you know, cool to kick around. But I actually kind of have a theory that Novak kind of buddying up with Nick, I actually kind of think it's a strategy. And I'm not usually like this in terms of reading into stuff to this level. But Kyrgios uh, hasn't historically played his friends very well. No. Kokonakis, Murray, like people he likes. He doesn't really compete against them all that well. And for a period of time, Nick uh Nick communicated a lot of disdain for Novak. And I feel like Djokovic has killed him with kindness here, and there might be a competitive edge for Novak in in doing that. I totally empathize sympathize with someone who does not play their friends well because that's me i hate playing my friends i would rather play a total stranger please joel i know you and i are opposite on that um but i can understand how how nick feels that way and therefore gil i good call <laughs> i do think novak knows what he's doing and i would be surprised actually if curios ever beat novak in any scenario after this wow that's really interesting i mean see like yeah we've talked about this before like i said oh they're my friends that's my point we, we agree to compete for a while sometimes it's tough for me with people i've never met because um aspects of how i play get people angry and i've had numerous <laughs> Numerous, <laughs> numerous incidents where the opponents end up, um, it's, it's this discord. And I don't cheat. I don't trash talk. It's just with the tennis, but things happen. And so that gets a little trickier. But the but I guess it's it's interesting. It's interesting how it goes with, with, with different people and how, what the relationship is. Yeah. Well, well Joel, J Jimmy Connors biographer, 
wasn't a big part of of Jimmy's motivation is that he wanted to hate his opponent and that he he struggled when there was not that disdain. Yeah, that the mostly Connors was taught that you to hate the opponent, to build up a hatred for him and figure out what the thing was that you really most hated in him. And that was going to be kind of like the 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 match that was going to spark the fire to compete besides the skills and just desire to win. But that was going to be an, an another part of the fire. And then he was friends with Nastasi, who was a little older and a little bit of a mentor when he first started. So that kind of put him off. And then Bjorn Borg, who gave nothing, who's the ultimate poker face player, kind of couldn't find a way in to hate him. But he could find other forms of motivation. Yeah, but that was a big part for Connors to fuel that that hatred, those tiger juices, as his mother referred to them, to really, yeah, this guy, this guy. Yeah. Yeah. So someone should have thought of that. Someone should have been like, Jimmy, I'll coach you. I love you. You're the best. That would have been a good strategy. <laughs> no Let me get to me. know you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't have happened. Wouldn't have happened. <laughs> All right. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of 3 Remember. We're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We'll see you next time on the next episode of 3.